Hey, it's Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your host of the I Heart My Life show. So today's episode is episode 54, how to use gratitude to shift out of your quarter life crisis. So I've done this firsthand in my own life. There was a period of time where I was deeply depressed. I was unhappy. I was unsure of my next step. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So if that's you, I'm going to tell you how I was able to shift that and create a life better than my dreams. I'm also going to answer a question that was submitted by one of our incredible community members. This is someone who's recently lost her mom. She has a unhealthy relationship with her father in terms of it needs a lot of repair. She was just dumped by her boyfriend. She has no job. And she's wondering how in the world can she shift into gratitude when so much is going wrong in her life? So I'm going to answer that and it's going to be super juicy. So if you're interested in learning more about this topic, make sure to keep listening. This is episode 54, how to use gratitude to shift out of your quarter life crisis. Let's dive in. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and do this. So at the risk of sounding very self-involved, I'm going to go ahead and share my story as it pertains to this topic. I think it's really important that you hear firsthand what I went through, because I know oftentimes, especially on social media, online, we see everyone's highlight reel. We think that their business was backed by a wealthy husband or a wealthy father. We think that nothing has ever gone wrong for them. We think that they just were born super successful. And that's totally not the case in terms of my scenario and my situation. There was a point where I was super low. I remember one Christmas in particular, I stayed at my friend's house because I wanted to get away from my parents. I had had to move back in with them after college and it was a horrible situation. They're absolutely amazing. Don't get me wrong. But when you live outside of the house for four years and then you come back, something shifts and you no longer want to be under the same roof. You want to have your independence. So long story short, my friend was going out of town and she let me stay at her house for Christmas. And I remember I didn't want to see anyone because I was so embarrassed that I was so lost. For so many years, I had had it all together. I thought I had it all figured out. And then all of a sudden, I had nothing figured out. And so if you are in that place today, whether it's a quarter life crisis or a midlife crisis, it doesn't matter. Regardless, I hope that this this message really resonates with you and gives you some tangible tools and tips to really shift out of that place. Frankly, I stayed in that place for far too long. I was in a quarter life crisis for about three or four years. I could have shifted it much quicker had I known what I know now. So I hope this truly helps you today. So back in 2008, like I said, I thought I had it all figured out. I had gone to school for a psychology degree, graduated at the top of my class, and thought my next step would be to get that master's in counseling psychology. I had grown up with entrepreneurs entrepreneurs all around me, and I thought I wanted to have my own business. But at some point, psychology kind of took over, and I thought, okay, well, I'll have my own practice. That's basically like a business, so I'll go down that route. So I got this degree and ended up applying to 12 schools around the United States for counseling psychology. I went to visit 10 of them to see if they were the right fit to get a feel for their campus, to really understand their curriculum, to look at the weather there, and ultimately decided on Northwestern in Chicago, Illinois. So in July 2008, I was driving there to find an apartment in the city. My mom was in the driver's seat. I was in the passenger seat. And with every passing town and mile marker, I got this feeling in the pit of my stomach, like 
this actually wasn't the right next step for me. Something was off here. Something wasn't right. Had I made a mistake? All these questions kept coming up. And at the same time, all of these tears kept rolling down my face. And eventually my mom looked over and she saw that I was crying and she asked me, what's wrong? What's going on with you? And all I could say to her was, I'm not sure, but I need more time. And in that moment, I truly was unsure. I had no clue why this was coming up for me, but it was such a strong emotion that I couldn't ignore it. So in that moment, she turned the car around and we went back to Ohio. And from there, things got worse. Little did I know that turning that car around, not only literally, but figuratively sent me in a different direction. Because I had been so sure about my next steps. I had been so clear. I had visited the schools. I had the air miles to prove it. And I thought I had made the right decision. But as the days approached and went, we went further and further into the summer and into September, I knew that I had to decline Northwestern. I couldn't move there. I couldn't make that decision feeling like, like it, I just wasn't clear. And so I ultimately turned them down. And again, I moved forward into that quarter life crisis where I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. I was living with my parents and had to start to try and figure this whole thing out. So the first thing I did was I reached out to some of my connections. So I had this incredible man who was always in my corner. He was actually the dad of one of the girls that I went to school with. And he was the top radiologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And so I reached out to him and I started to tell him what was going on. And I asked him if he had any positions within his his little um, part of the hospital. And as it turned out, he needed a research assistant. So I thought, okay, you know what? I can do that. I'm just going to start exploring different options. And one of the options that had always been on my heart was this idea of going pre-med, becoming a doctor. Now, I feel like part of that was because I loved the show ER and George Clooney. (laughs) But for whatever reason, that piqued my interest. So I thought to myself, okay, let's just give that a try. Let's just see what happens there. So I simultaneously also enrolled in some chemistry classes at Ohio State University thinking, okay, let's give this pre-med thing a try. I didn't want to be in this quarter life crisis. I didn't want to be in a place of confusion. And so I was willing to try anything at least once. So long story short, I started working as a research assistant. I started going to these chemistry and physics classes, and I quickly realized this too was not for me. I remember crying in the chemistry final, leaving early and recognizing this is not the right next step for me. I don't care about science this much. (laughs) And I knew what it was going to take when I played the whole tape through. I knew what pre-med was going to take, and I was not dedicated or excited by it. So again, long story short, I ended up moving through that, moving to the other side and recognizing that wasn't for me. After that, around January 2009, my mom took some pity on me and decided that we were going to go to Italy to visit my sister where she was studying abroad. And at the same time, we were going to visit my friend Haley, who was living in London. So we went to Italy. I was completely miserable the whole time. I had gained a bunch of weight. I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel happy. I had nothing to come back to. Um, nothing lined up, no jobs, nothing that I wanted to, to, that I was excited about. But anyway, we went on this trip, we visited my sister. And then I remember the second part of the trip was in London. And I remember getting out of Victoria Station, stepping out into the air and feeling like something was different, feeling like this was a place that I could spend the rest of my life. And I had felt that a bit about Chicago, but I never expected to feel that about London. 
But in that moment, I didn't tell anyone. I just kind of tucked that feeling in my back pocket and went about my day all while loving London silently. And although that trip only lasted a few days, it left a lasting impression on me and it was something I couldn't forget. So when I got back to Ohio, I kept looking for jobs. I applied at Starbucks three times until I finally got that job. I worked at J. Crew. I did some babysitting and ultimately moved out of my parents' house and found an apartment. So that was a much better situation for me. And again, just tried to keep figuring it out. And all I kept coming back to, you know, I, I ticked becoming an ER doctor off the list. I ticked psychology off the list. All I kept coming back to was London. That was the only thing that I had clarity about. I kept hearing this whisper of London, London, London. So I kept following that, kept following that. What does that mean? How in the world could I even get to London? How would that be possible? Now, my friend was still living there, but soon she was actually going to be headed to Africa where she had met someone and started a relationship. And so it wasn't an option to kind of hang out with her or live with her. But I knew that there was somebody who I'd grown up with, someone who was from Columbus, Ohio, living in London. So I contacted him. I asked him about it. Could I stay with him? What would be the possibilities? What's he doing there? And I got the information. And so at the end of 2009, in September, I actually chose to move to London just for a few months to give it a try. I had actually applied for another research internship there in London. I had researched um, people in my field of radiology and saw that there was somebody who needed a research assistant at this school in uh, central London. And so I contacted her and she gave me an opportunity to work together So I started lining up all these things and just feeling into what felt like the right next step for me. So I arrived in September of 2009, ended up staying until December when I essentially ran out of money and had to come back to Ohio. So once again, came back to Ohio in this quarter life crisis and in this this desire with this desire to live permanently in London. I had gotten a taste for it. And that whole experience is is for a different time, (laughs) a different episode, but I'd gotten a taste for it and knew that I had to make it back there. Because when I arrived back in the United States in December of 2009, I was desperate to go back. I was so unhappy. I didn't want to be in Ohio. I didn't want to be in the US. I wanted to be in London. So again, I kept that emotion and kept that bubbling up and up and up for the next few months. So throughout 2010, early 2010, I did odd jobs, worked at Starbucks, like I said, worked at J. Crew, did some babysitting, and then eventually started to apply to master's programs in London because I realized through my research, the only way I was going to be able to get to London was by getting a student visa or a spouse visa. And the spouse thing had yet to happen. Everyone wonders if James and I knew each other before I moved to London, but we didn't. I just had this feeling that I was meant to be there. And so I contacted a bunch of different schools to see if psychology was an option because I hadn't yet ruled that out. And so what I realized, though, was that to get to um, apply for a master's in psychology in the UK, it would be completely different because it required different prerequisites than what I had fulfilled while in the US. So that was not an option. So then I thought, okay, this must be figure outable. There must be another way. I'm feeling so called to be in London. I can't forget it. I must be meant to be there. And so I thought, okay, well, what else do I want to do in my life? And I've always known I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write a book. And so I ended up applying for a master's in nonfiction writing. So I applied to a bunch of schools in London, got into one at City University, 
which is also in central London. And I was accepted. And then I obviously gave my, um, I, I accepted the offer. And so again, long story short, I ended up moving to London on August 24th, 2010. I didn't know anyone. My friend had since moved on. So I was new in a city, didn't have any connections, no friends. I didn't have any money when I first moved because my student loan hadn't yet come in. And so I moved, as I like to say, with four suitcases and a dream. And I ended up moving into a hostel for two weeks because I couldn't find an apartment right away. I had lived in a hotel for a few days and then didn't want to be spending all that money. And so I moved into a hostel. And the hostel, it was right on Gloucester Road, um, with your, which if, if you're familiar with London, that's very central. It's a great location near Hyde Park, right near the Natural History, History Museum. Awesome location, but a very weird place in general. I ended up having to put all my suitcases in the bathroom because it was huge and my bedroom was very tiny. So I looked for an apartment around that area and eventually found one that was literally the size of a closet. Um, And it was about $1,000 a month, which is all I could afford and much, much too high rent, um, high rent compared to what the location or what the, the actual space was. But anyway, it was mine. So I ended up moving all of my four suitcases across the city, I didn't want to pay for a taxi because I didn't have any money. So I lugged them all across the city up four flights of stairs to this new apartment and arrived in a, a complete pool of sweat and um, got the keys from the agent and, and you know brought all my stuff in, had to make a couple of trips and finally unpacked all of my stuff and I was settled. And during that time, you know, the ex- there was definitely a lot of excitement about being in London, starting this new chapter, a lot of uncertainty. And I thought that I was going to move past my quarter life crisis by being in this new city and doing something different. But the truth is, it quickly reappeared and it had followed me across the pond, so to speak. Because what happened when I lived in London, for at least the first few months of living in London, was like I said, I didn't know anyone. So I was very lonely. I didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I started all these new classes. And there were a lot of things that felt like they weren't working. And that first year was really challenging. I threw myself into the world of online dating, which is eventually how I met James. We'll get to that in a second. I did try and make friends. But what I found was... It was very difficult to go up to other women in bars and try and make friends. I I wasn't the same age of a lot of people in my classes, um, so it was really challenging. I ended up working as a nanny just to cover some of my bills, but only that you know even then I could only work part time, and so it wasn't bringing in a lot of money, and I wasn't meeting other people who were my age. I was watching this amazing little boy, and I got very close to his parents. But again, it wasn't like I had this incredible social life. Um, It was very different than what I had envisioned in many, many ways. And it was challenging. So each day, I found myself getting more and more depressed and more and more unsure about what I was actually meant to be doing in this world, how I was going to make an impact, how I was going to do that something big that I still had a belief that I was meant for, but didn't it didn't seem to be happening. It didn't seem to be manifesting. And so a few months into living in London, when I was experiencing all of these challenges, I began turning to personal development. And one of the people I've always followed is Oprah Winfrey. So most people listening to this probably have a, an affinity for Oprah or have heard her speak about something that has stuck with them or resonated in some way. And for me, I had spent years listening to her watching the Oprah Winfrey show 
and, and really following the work that she was doing in the world. And at one point I stumbled upon, I don't know if it was an article or a segment, I stumbled upon her talking about gratitude. And she was talking about the fact that her own gratitude practice had really helped her transform her life. And that if you're looking to shift out of sadness and despair or lack of clarity, gratitude is one of the ways to do that. And she recommended starting a gratitude list. So every single single day, making a list of the things that you were grateful for. And during that time, because I was so sad and I was depressed and unsure about what I wanted to do with my life, I thought, you know what, I'm willing to try anything. So I thought, let's start this gratitude practice. And I decided to hold myself accountable and make it even more obvious to those in my life what I'm grateful for. And so I started a Tumblr blog. I don't know if those people listening, if you if you remember what Tumblr was, but it's an online blogging site. So I started a Tumblr blog where every single day I put up a post about what I was grateful for. And in the beginning, it's kind of painful to read it. I, ha- I still have access to it now, but it's a bit painful to read because it's things like my pumpkin spice latte, or I'm grateful for the guy who opened the door for me, or I'm grateful for the flowers I bought for myself today. But it's actually those little things that start to make a huge difference, which I'll explain in just a second. So I started this gratitude journal every single day. I was writing down my list of things and I began to feel different. I began to feel more positive. I began to notice that more things were going right in my life. And here's the thing that that happens when you're in the midst of a quarter life crisis or a period of time where it feels like things aren't working. You're so focused on what isn't working that you actually are unable to see the things that are working. It's almost like you're wearing glasses and the only thing that they can actually see are the negative things or those pieces that aren't working or the depression or the anxiety or the fear. And it's like they're, for whatever reason, those lenses aren't able to see all of the good stuff and all of the miracles and all the positives. And when you're so focused on what's not working, energetically, you're at the same level of what's not working. And so it's like, it's like, that's your match. You're an energetic match for what is not working. And that's what you're choosing to see. So that was what was happening for me. After turning that car around, I was choosing to see the negative. I was choosing to see all the stuff I didn't have. I was choosing to see the lack of money in the bank and the lack of clarity, the lack of friends, the lack of boyfriend, <laughs> the lack of everything. That was my choice to see life in that way and to look at it through that type of lens. Whereas when we shift into gratitude, we actually are able to see life in a different way because we're more focused on what's going right and what we appreciate. And then that puts us on a different energy field, an energy, energetic level to what it is that we actually want because we want more of those positive things. Okay. So I didn't know that all of that was working for me at the time. I just knew that I was starting to feel better and I knew that more positive things were happening in my life. For example, I truly believe that through my gratitude practice, I was able to manifest James. I remember making a list of all my requirements for a partner and the love that I desired in my life. And I put it on a vision board, which is something else that I learned from the personal development world. Um, I think it was from the book, The Secret. I started reading The Secret as well. And I started to focus on what it was that I wanted. Once again, not focusing on what I didn't want. You know, I was doing a, a lot of online dating at the time and there were a lot of duds. There were a lot of guys who were not um, what I was looking for, but I chose to keep focusing on the vision of what I actually wanted to create versus what wasn't working. 
And so the more I did things like that and focused on what I desired and focused on what was going right, the more I got that stuff. And now I'm not going to say that it was an overnight thing. I remember at one point I actually hired a coach and she worked at this place called the Happiness Clinic in London. And I went to her sessions and I cried throughout all of the sessions time and time again, hour after hour. And finally, she told me, you know, Emily, you have the power to transform your thoughts. You have the power to think differently. And I truly believe that gratitude is one of those things that really helped me rewire my brain. Because right now, if you're listening to this and you're nodding along and you resonate and you're in the space that I was in, right now you're programmed just to see what's not working. That's what your brain is focused on. So we're going to want to rewire that so that you focus on the stuff that is working. Because the more you have awareness for that, the more you're going to see opportunities, the more you're going to attract like things into your life, things that are on that higher level energy field. Okay, so I hope all this is making sense for you. So like I said, I started to attract things into my life through this gratitude practice. And so that's why very recently when I put up a post about gratitude, I really wanted to explain the power that gratitude has in our lives if we bring it in. And I know for a lot of people, there's a lot of beliefs about gratitude, especially gratitude in driven women. We think that if we're grateful for what we have, that means we can't want more. And that's absolutely not the case. These two things are not mutually exclusive. You can be driven and be grateful at the same time. And in fact, that's how I live my entire life. And I have to be completely honest with you in that my gratitude practice is something I did for about a year. Um, But recently, I've decided to start it back up again. And James and I have created a habit where in the evenings, we talk about, we verbally share what it is that we're grateful for. Because oftentimes, although we we participate in a certain habit for a while, it falls by the wayside. And we think to ourselves, you know what, I don't need that anymore. Things are going so well, so I don't need that. But we forget what actually got us there. And so for me, gratitude is still a big part of my life, even though I want more, even though I'm ready for the next level, even though I'm consciously up-leveling my mindset, up-leveling our bank account, up-leveling the business, right? But mutual gratitude and, and desire for more are not mutually exclusive. They work hand in hand. So that's one of the things that I really wanted to point out. If you're questioning whether you can be grateful and still be driven at the same time, you absolutely can. And I actually recommend it. I highly recommend that you are both. Okay. One of the other things that people often ask me is, is exactly what was written in by one of our community members. So I want to read out her question here today and then give you some tangible ways um, that will really support you in um, in shifting into gratitude, even when it feels like things aren't working, it's not happening, you're in a place of fear or despair or disappointment. So let me read this to you really quick. So she says, I appreciated your post the other day about focusing on gratitude. Do you have advice on how to really fixate on gratitude, though? I have a much louder, powerful voice that interrupts every time I try to be grateful. It points out that I have no job. No one wants to hire me. My mom left me. My dad doesn't even like me. My ex-boyfriend dumped me on a street corner, etc., etc. I'm doing therapy, grief counseling, taking medications, walking my dog every day, going to the gym a few times a week. I'm doing all the right things. But the biggest obstacle standing in my way to recovery is me. Now, first of all, thank you to this person for writing in and just for sharing that question, because I know a lot of people listening can resonate. So I can definitely resonate because 
I was standing in the way of my dreams. For three years, I was in this quarter life crisis focused on what wasn't working, and I chose to stay there. And so what you need to ask yourself is, what are you actually getting from choosing to stay in this frame of mind, choosing to stay in this place? Now, that might sound like a very strange question, but what I was choosing, I'll give you my example um, first, what I was choosing to kind of um, continue to manifest in my life was this idea that I was the victim. I could get attention from people feeling sorry for me. Things weren't working, so I got attention. So I got people's sympathy, right? Whereas if things are going really well, then you know who's going to want to feel sorry for you? Who's going to give you attention? So I had this false belief system that the harder things are for me, the more attention I get, the more people feel sorry for me, right? And they put their focus on me. So maybe you're getting something similar by staying in the same place, Regardless, I want you to identify what you're actually getting. And it might even be like 1% of you getting something from this current situation. But I know that for me, I never I never was able to realize that. I didn't have the self-awareness at the time to say, okay, Emily, what are you getting this from this situation? And did you know that you can choose to get yourself out of this situation? I just thought I had to wait around for life to turn around and, and you know, finally provide me with what it was that I wanted. But you have far more power than you're giving yourself credit for. And here's the thing. If we think we're powerless to life, then that means we're powerless in both ways. We're powerless because there's negative things happening to us. And we're powerless because we can't actually make a change. But when we are empowered, and we actually believe that we attract into our life, that we actually attract what comes into our life, then we're able to also recognize that that means we can turn things around by thinking differently, by getting ourselves on a different level, a different energetic level, by using tools like gratitude, right? So you want to shift out of being the victim, the whole life happens to me, my boyfriend dumped, broke up with me, my mom left me, my dad doesn't even like me. That's total victim energy. So you want to shift out of that by asking yourself, okay, what am I getting from this? What is the belief that is holding me in this place? And then how can we start to shift it? And as this person has written, it can be challenging to shift it. It can be challenged, challenging to focus on gratitude for more than just a few minutes a day when all those fears, all those insecurities, all those beliefs have been running the show for so long and are so much stronger, seemingly stronger. So here's my recommendation. Like I said, number one, figure out why in the world you're participating in that behavior continuously. Does it have anything to do with remaining a victim? Number two, you want to shift your focus. So exactly what I did here in my story was I shifted my focus into gratitude, into what was going right in my life. And that could be through writing a gratitude list. It could be visioning, putting up a vision board or the things that you actually desire in your life and shifting your focus onto those instead of what isn't working could be a variety of different things. And the way that I would do this is, like I said, make a list, or maybe you could create some post-it notes where it has positive, where you, you focus on positive phrases about yourself. You know, everyone loves me, or I'm attracting love right now, or my relationship with my father is healed, whatever you want the new belief to be. And then when those negative thoughts shift in, you have a tool at your disposal, you have a phrase, or you have a post-it note, or you have a list that you can focus back on. So let me give you an example. 
So maybe I went out on a, there were many of date, many dates that I have had like this, but maybe I went on an, on an unsuccessful date and I had this belief that I was never going to meet somebody. I was never going to meet the man of my dreams. Okay. So that would be a belief that's running the show. So I would have pre-prepared other beliefs that were the complete opposite. So the man of my dreams is on its way. I am manifesting my husband right now, you know, whatever the phrases are, so that I would have those prepped so that when the mind tries to run off and tell you that you're never going to meet someone or you're never going to be successful or you're never going to figure it out, you have pre-prepared phrases that you can use to saturate your mind because the mind can only think one thought at a time and it's going to believe what you're feeding it. And so although it might feel so, so challenging, and you might feel in the beginning that 90% of the time your mind is still in the gutter, we're trying to turn the dial a little bit. We're not turning the flip up and down, right? We're going to turn the dial because it will take time. You've been thinking in a certain way for decades. So I was thinking in a certain way, probably for decades, but definitely for at least three years. And so it took some time for me to really focus on gratitude. But that's the thing. It's not like you would go to the gym and expect your muscles to be fully formed after one session. We know that it takes time. And so you have to have the foresight to know that if you put in the work and you put in the effort, you will be reprogramming your mind just like you would be reinventing your body or anything else. Okay. So every time that new, that fear or that belief system creeps in and tries to tell you that you can't do something or life is not working in your favor or everyone's out to get you, you have something pre-prepared that you shift your focus on, whether it's that gratitude list, that post-it note, or you get yourself some sort of meditation that gets you into a high vibrational state, or you speak to somebody like a coach who can support you in shifting out of that. Because we don't want you to be in a negative frame of mind for 90% of the time and then be in that positive place 10% of the time. That might be where you're at right now, but it can quickly be you know, 15% and 85%. And then we could go into 20% and 80% and so on and so forth, okay? So definitely have something set up to be able to shift back into in terms of the positive when those fears and doubts creep up because they will creep up. Like I said, you've been thinking a certain way your whole life. And from the outside looking in, it appears that things aren't working, but you don't actually know that. You don't actually know that things aren't working. For example, when I turned the car around, it felt like things weren't working, but little did I know that life was happening for me. And now I can be in this position sharing this story with you. And maybe if you've had experiences that are similar, this is actually helping you to move through them. We just don't know the way in which life is helping us. I saw a quote recently, it said, life is rigged in your favor. What if you really operated with the belief that life is rigged in your favor, regardless of the circumstances and what's happening? And especially if you're experiencing challenge right now, what if you believe that all of that is rigged in your favor and there's a reason why it's happening and it's going to be for the greatest good, okay? So those are my tips for you today to really start to use gratitude to shift yourself out of a negative place, to shift yourself out of depression, out of confusion, out of a lack of clarity. And again, we could do a million episodes on this one topic, and I'm sure that I'll expand on this as we go throughout the, the, our time together on the show. 
Um, but because of gratitude, I was not only able to attract my husband, I was able to get clear around what it was that I actually wanted to do to get clear around coaching, building the business, moving forward with my dreams and finally uncovering that something big because I was aware of all the good stuff. I was aware of the opportunities all around me. I had my eyes up and I was actually looking out instead of looking down, being in despair around wasn't what wasn't working. So that one thing, that one shift in perspective and you focusing on gratitude, it's going to open up your eyes to so many opportunities, put you on a different energy field. So you start to attract everything that you desire. So that transformation in your bank account, the relationship, the, the body that you desire, the, the career, the job opportunity, the business that you want to start, the friendship, you just being having a, a more loving relationship to yourself, it truly will affect everything if you give this a try. So my task for you, my homework for you is that you start your gratitude practice today. Even if you've created a lot of success, regardless of where you're at on the journey, start your practice. I recently read another article from Oprah and she talked about the fact that in the 90s, she did her gratitude practice religiously. But then after that, she kind of dropped off and there got to a point where after her show had ended and she started her network, she was wondering, you know, why in the world am I not happier? I have, I've, I've multiplied my wealth tons of times over. I have this great network. All these things are happening for me. Why was I happier back then? And she actually realized it was because she was doing her own gratitude practice. It was because she was focused on the good stuff and focused on what was working and that generated much more happiness for her. Okay, so that's my challenge for you today is to start your gratitude practice. And I want to hear from you. Tag me on social media. Once you start, share the things that you're grateful for and then start to share everything that shifts because of this practice because I know there's going to be a lot. And for the person who submitted this beautiful question, question, I really hope that you're listening. I'm going to make sure you're listening because I'm going to send this to you personally. But I want to hear from you as well. How has this shifted things for you? How has this created um, a change in mindset? And keep us posted on your journey and know that we're here for you and know that we believe that everything is happening for you and that you're meant for huge things in the world. And that clarity, that happiness, it's literally right there for the taking for you. All right, everyone, I'll look forward to talking to you on the next episode. I hope you loved that episode today. And I really hope that you go and take that advice and start your own gratitude practice literally tonight, or maybe you want to do it in the morning, whatever feels good for you. Make this part of your day, regardless of the timing, regardless of what's coming up for you, any of that doubt, insecurity, disbelief. I want you to just trust me and know that this is going to be a complete game changer for you and your life, in your business, in your career, in your relationships, all of the above. So give it a try. And then make sure to tag me on social media. I'm at I Heart My Life Now on Instagram and I Heart My Life Now on Facebook. I want to hear all about your journey with this gratitude practice. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the I Heart My Life show. For more inspiration, success tips, and ways to achieve your life and business goals, definitely follow me on Facebook and Instagram on I Heart My Life Now. See you next time.